welcome to another exciting NAHB Power Hitters. I'm your host, Linda Hoffman, coming to you from the crystal clear Sierra Nevadas. I'm delighted to report that after months of wildfires, we are finally catching our breath up here in the mountains. Sean Codwell and I were talking before the show. Sean had COVID in March, so he's here with us today sporting those high value antibodies. He won't need the vaccine when it comes out. He is a walking vaccine. We're just glad he's recovered. But as we're talking about the many ways COVID has changed the world, Sean brought up the unsung heroes, the truly essential workers who rarely get noticed. Those construction workers, mighty tradesmen, craftsmen, the real builders who pick up their tools and get to work where there is no housing. Those truly putting roofs over the heads of the nation through all weather, pandemic, economies, and more. Sean, maybe you'd like to add your personal note of thanks and welcome to the show. Well, thank you so much, Linda. Thank you for having me. Thank you for hearing the Mill Creek story. Um, it's a real honor to have this afternoon with you. And uh, yeah, it's, it, we were in our conversation yesterday, it was just very touching to me to, for us to think about I mean, it's been a hard, really hard time for everybody, right? And for folks like you and I, we've had the luxury of being able to work from home and uh, and continue to do what we do. Um, and when I think about not only our construction workers, but also the folks that are working at the property on the operations side, um, they really haven't had that opportunity. You know, they've had, they've, our construction teams that have 29 communities operating throughout the nation right now, um, every single one of those have remained open pretty much every single day. So, you know, when we were at probably our peak concern in April, you know, those folks were putting in 40, 50, 50 hour weeks and coming home with a lot of unknown and they just continue to endeavor through it. Um, so I can't imagine, you know, how hard it was for them, for their families, um, but also how hard it would have been, frankly, for the economy if the housing industry just stopped working. Um, how much worse would it have been had both retail and construction and operations just stopped? So I think it's important for all of us just to, you know, uh, acknowledge their efforts and their hard work and they persevered through it and did a really great job. And we're glad they did. Sean, yeah. you're executive managing director of Mill Creek Residential. The company was formed in 2011. Sean and a number of his colleagues are graduates of Trammell Crow. As anyone who's been in the industry for five minutes knows, Mr. Crow had an uncanny ability for spotting brilliance and potential in his hiring. Scores of the country's most notable careers and real estate companies came through the doors of Trammell Crow all top performers, shining examples. In fact, in just nine years, Sean and his company, Mill Creek, have become one of the nation's top developers and builders with just under 5,000 units already delivered this year. Sean oversees the company's Northeast and Mid-Atlantic regions, including DC and New York, two areas hit hard by lockdowns. Sean, first tell us a little bit about your experience with COVID in March. And how has it changed the focus, if at all, at Mill Creek? Sure. Uh, I mean, on a personal level, it was I was an early adopter. Didn't really know what was happening. It was uh, it was uh, just a 
a getaway as this was first kicking off. And at that point in time, I just frankly thought I had the flu, thought I'd be fine. And then, you know, months later, I had the antibody test. But um, so I was fine. Um, but I think that uh, how it's changed Mill Creek is we obviously had, there was two levels of adoption. There was the adoption that happened at the property level that we had to act really quickly on, which uh, Chip Bay, who's, who leads our construction company, he immediately was deploying, you know, all the right strategies to keep production moving, um, to keep people safe. And there was, and it was really safety first, production second. And, and through that, we had, you know, very few cases. We had amazing production. So Chip and his team just did a phenomenal job. And on the operations side, we had to do the same thing, right? We had to, how do we keep our residents safe and our spaces clean and the, and the livability of a Mill Creek, Modera or Alistair community feeling safe, vibrant as people are locked in their homes. So uh, we did, you know, a lot of the things that a lot of our competitors were doing, you know, testing on site on the construction side, uh, you know, at the communities, we were doing virtual leasing, um, we were more thoughtful about what maintenance we would take on versus, you know, defer as we understood things better. So all of that was deployed really well. Um, at a corporate level, where I think that we responded extremely well and quite proud of, uh, Bill McDonald, who was the, is our CEO and the successor to Charlie Brindell, our founding CEO, when this kicked in, he, he really approached this similar to how he approached the last recession, which was... We need to act quickly and thoughtfully. And the way that he did so was to really make sure the folks in the field are safe and secure, making sure that they knew their job would be there. Mm -hmm. And those of us who had the opportunity to work from home, i.e. the office folks, we all took a slight pay cut. Um, and each of us, at every person who was a non-field employee or partner, uh, leaned in a little bit financially while they all leaned in, you know, being on the front lines. And what that yielded was it kept all the communities moving forward, but what was incredible is that we had no furloughs, we've had no layoffs, and we've really been able to keep the team together. Um, so I really applaud Charlie and Bill and the leadership team to move quickly, and really I think we're getting to the other side of it. So uh, that's how we've gotten to where we are today. Um, I think the more macro question is how is Mill Creek going to, or how's the industry really going to move forward and change? Jerry Bell, who uh, advises a lot of us at Mill Creek and Trammell Crow, and his comment to, to me one day recently was, what's the chances of your customer changing? And the answer is 100%. Of course, our customers are going to change from this. Um, how are they going to change? It's hard to tell. Like what is going to be the short-term change of today versus the long-term behavior change? Um, so right now we're, we're spending a lot of time, you know, everyone, on our team, we've, I just recently put together and leading effort for a uh, design work group to think through post COVID design. And we're really thinking through well, what are the right answers, but what are the right questions? So we're, deep into the process of reaching out to folks, you know, whether it's our all of our customers, the folks who live in our communities, the people that invest in our buildings, and also the people who may buy our buildings on the other side, what are they expecting? 
So we're really trying now to focus on what are the right questions to ask and try to glean what are the long-term changes that we think we'll see and then deploy that on the next wave of development that we're touching. So that go forward view of what's the big question, we're, that's what we're figuring out right now. As mentioned, Mill Creek was launched in 2011. The country was just emerging from the Great Recession, triggered by a crisis in housing finance. How did you see that as a good time to launch a new company? <laughs> yeah, that's a great question. Um, and I think it was, uh, it was both an opportunity, but it was also necessity. Uh, at Trammell Crow Residential, we had built a very large portfolio up. We were in partnership um, with the Crow family as the current Trammell Crow Residential formation is. And, you know, the Crow family, certainly their focus at that point in time was understandably on making sure that what we had built as a team you know, landed safely during the recession. We as a team, our team also saw it as a great opportunity to play offense, right? So there was kind of a defense versus offense, but, you know, uh, Harlan Crow and the Crow Holdings definitely saw it. They saw the opportunity, but we all collectively realized that it was going to be a much larger capitalization in order to reinvent ourselves the way that we thought was best to prosper coming out of the recession. So, um, with that in mind, the Crow family was a very good partner for us, you know, allowed us to work our way through tough times as we got ourselves back on our feet. So there was about uh, 70 uh, partners and key associates who uh, was part of the original Trammell Crow residential family. And our focus at that point in time, we had uh, five deals, I think, on the East Coast that we were bringing over from Trammell Crow into Mill Creek. So these people and these small amount of deals went out and we looked for a capital partner to help uh, establish the platform for what we thought it could be. Um, we found that in the uh, state of North Carolina that was being advised and co-invested in by uh, Rockwood Capital. They were a wonderful partner for us. Um, we were, uh, they were partners with us up until about three years ago, where frankly we evolved from a startup company to a much more institutional, you know, we landed, we grew up, if you will. And we uh, brought in um, Arizona State Retirement System. So we really, with a startup company with the state of North Carolina and Rockwood, um, really got it up and running to a great organization. And in 10 years, we've done um, just about $10 billion in development. And uh, with, uh, we just started this new relationship with Arizona about three years ago, and it's been great since then. Um, so that's the history of how we came together. But the reality is, with anything, Wenda, it's the people, right? It's the people and the partners. And I, again, applaud you know Chip and uh, Bill McDonald and Charlie Brindell and the senior leadership where they wanted to keep the team together. They knew what we did at Trammell Crow. They knew what we were capable of doing. They knew the markets that we wanted to be in. So we knew that we had the core business intact. So as we were going through that recession, you really wanted to keep that core team together and reinvent us into something special. So, uh, you know, I think that's really, that's the success story is we had the people, we had a good core base of projects to start, we found the right partner. And then the next group of 
partners that we really, it was capital partners that were wonderful to us at Trammell Crow Residential, really believed in us at Mill Creek. Um, so all those equity partners and construction lenders that were good to us at TCR saw that we would be as good and better, frankly, as Mill Creek Residential. So those three groups of people, those associates and partners who founded it, um, the leadership and the uh, capital partner who came in and believed in us and then our capital partners at a project level. That's fantastic. Certainly the fundamentals yeah. always point to more housing. We need more housing. Even as household formation has softened over the last minute, um, we have been falling behind consistently over the last number of years. So it's fantastic that you have found a way to make it pencil. And in fact, Sean, your company is less than 10 years old and you're already a top developer. So specifically, how is it that you account for the growth? Hmm. So uh, we've counted, it's, it's being in the right markets with the right people and the right partners. It's really that simple. We've, um, we built up our organization, so we are much more, uh, even more so attracted to the capital markets than we were before. Um, the product we're building is better. The people that we've retained are better. And we've had the ability to, when I was at Trammell Kerr Residential, like a lot of us at that point in time, everything we did was one-off joint ventures. That's a fantastic model, and we continue to do that with really key equity partners, and we always will. Um, in order to have this growth, we also realized that we needed to have more of a fund business as well. So we have now raised four funds, each one of approximately $400 million, that has allowed us to not only do, you know, the, the one-off joint ventures with our great equity partners, but we've also, it's allowed us to bring in this programmatic capital to allow us to do some really special projects, some ones that maybe we wouldn't have been able to do or do as quickly or do as much volume as what we were able to do at TCR. So it's that combination of, we had to build the organization up to be really well received in the institutional market, institutional capital market. We did that. And then as we did that, the capital has been attracted to what we do in the cities that we develop in. Um, so right now we originally did it with the state of North Carolina who invested in uh, two funds with us. Then we did it with the state of Arizona and during right in the middle of COVID uh, Quadril actually closed a fourth fund with us um, Quadril out of Canada and they closed a fourth fund with us right in the midst of COVID. So it's a great time. To, I mean, it's, it's a tough time in, in the world, but we were very fortunate to be able to attract that sort of capital and partner to our platform. So success does sell. <laughs> I, well, it's uh, some luck also. I mean, I like, I think that we've, uh, it's been a good time in the market to be what, to do what we're doing. Um, so I certainly feel like, you know, the people, hard work and a little bit of good fortune has, uh, has, has been at our back, but uh, we feel very fortunate, Linda, to be where we are. So among others, Sean, Mill Creek has assets on the coast. Yeah. The coastal gateway markets have been hard hit from COVID. How are your properties faring and what do you see going forward? That's a, it's a wonderful question. And it, the headlines are accurate, right? The headlines are that the coastal markets are getting hit harder. Right. 
And it's true. I've uh, chatting with uh, our leadership on the operations side, Steve Procknell yesterday, he was sharing, you know, we've had in Texas, Colorado, as you've pointed out, if you look at just collections, we're at 99.5%. There is no change. It is as good as it's ever been. And it's, it, it's like nothing happened and collections are fantastic. And then if you go to the West Coast, they're just over 95% and California, Oregon, Washington. And if you go to the East Coast, they're somewhere in between 97.5%. So that is, uh, it, it has become a regional issue to a certain degree. Um, and the absorption has definitely changed. The, the absorption has been hit harder in the cities than it has in the more suburban or growth markets. I think we've all seen some migration that's happened, that's happening in the country. Um, I've had the good fortune from how you open the show to be able to travel. I've been to San Francisco personally and Boston, New York, and DC. And you can really see the core cities struggling. And we're seeing that at the property level. Um, I think what's within that, there's a lot of nuance though, Linda, right? That within the city, um, I personally lived in an apartment in Woodley Park and kind of looked at it and said, I'm paying a premium to live in a, you know, in a community where nothing is open. That's a hard decision to make. And I think our residents are making that same decision where I could move. Uh, I could move and save some money and probably be someplace where it's uh, more things are open. So that dynamic has been in play. And, but I think it's much more subtle than the headlines of the coasts are getting crushed and the cities are getting crushed. I think it's nuanced where you've got urban super core right now is getting hit hard. You know, you were paying a premium to live in the best building in the best location. And that person, that next person isn't going to pay that premium to live in that best building right now. Not right now. Suburban core, that person may move out to the suburban core. They're not going to move out to a garden apartment right away. Other folks will. But there is this subtle net migration where the urban core is really struggling. And then the suburban core is struggling less. And then suburban in more affordable play is doing pretty well. I think that's the subtle nuance here. Um, but as you and I chatted, there's, you know, sometimes uh, good news means bad news. And sometimes bad news means good news. And uh, one of the things I'm most encouraged about is frankly, when I've gone to these cities and I've met with our teams there, starting to see a little bit of city pride. And I was with some, uh, some of our younger folks in New York and they were saying uh, that, you know, this is their 9-11 moment. This is when they want to kind of come back to the city. This is where it's rough right now. And they said it was, it was kind of a, a funny tongue-in-cheek comment. They're like, yeah, it's time for me to go back and, you know, go back and live in the city. And I can get a really good deal. So, they're, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's tough right now. It would be very tough to say, let's go do an urban core deal in San Francisco. That's, you know, it's going to be hard, right? But we're not going to turn a blind eye into it. We're not going to say we're done with the cities. Um, we're going to, you know, there's going to be great opportunities in suburban development opportunities, clearly. Suburban core opportunities, I think, are going to do really well. I think that's a great alternative to someone who's living in the urban core. 
And then we'll just have to be cautious as to what we take on in the urban core. It will come back. The question is just when, how soon, and what happens with concessions between now and then. So, I, I wonder if California may be that exception yeah. with the mass exodus, not just from San Francisco, which is a ghost town. We, we talked about this. Yeah. But from California as a whole with regard to companies leaving. That's right. Is, that's, that's the canary that is hard to overlook. But that doesn't mean that California will s- suddenly be vacant. That's right. No, I agree with that. There's a lot of dynamics happening in California right now. We all know it. Yeah. Uh, socioeconomic, environmental. Um, right. There is, there is, a, there is, a, there is net migration. Uh, there was a U-Haul report where it's, I think someone told me it was $2,500 to rent a U-Haul to go from Los Angeles to Phoenix, but it was $200 to take a U-Haul from Phoenix back to LA. Right, exactly. So. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen that report and I can um, validate boots on the ground. I bet you um, can. That and the, the fires have just made it almost untenable. Nevertheless, the, the coastal markets continue to grow. And I'm wondering if Mill Creek will continue to focus on those faster growing coastal markets or diversify into slower growing, possibly more stable markets in the Midwest. Hmm. Good question. Uh, we have in the past, even pre-COVID, a lot of these things that we're seeing, we, our company and a lot of other folks were already evaluating, right? I mean, it wasn't just COVID where the industry was saying, should I go and look at suburban? That was already happening. This was another nudge to look in that direction. So pre-COVID, as an example, we had decided as an organization to um, open up an office in North Carolina, which I oversee. And I work with Alex Eisen in North Carolina. Um, we also agreed to open up an office in Phoenix, Arizona. So we already embraced that. I think that uh, as far as the Midwest goes, we're looking more on less about are we going to go to Chicago? That, that's not necessarily on our target list right now. But we are looking at the secondary markets that are outside of our core. So, um, And we're actually really just studying that right now, specifically in my region. So as someone who lives you know, in the District of Columbia or in that NSA, you know, we haven't been active at all in Norfolk, right? Should we be? We haven't been active in Richmond. Should we be? Um, right now, we're focused in Charlotte, but we need to look in Raleigh. You know, should we be looking um, in South Carolina? Uh, where outside of Boston core should we be looking? And it's almost like, you know, it's really hard to figure out and make that workforce housing or affordable product work. But if we can find those markets where that demand is really deep, it's going to do extremely well. So we're really sort of expanding our core focus to not just be within. So right now we're in 17 cities and of those 17 cities, 27 markets. Uh, If we were to chat a year from now, Linda, I think that we'll probably still be in those 17 cities, but those number of markets would have increased. We would have looked at other cities outside of our core for uh, other kind of one-off opportunities in cities that we haven't historically built in. 
So in looking at, I, I'm wondering how much this pulls you away again from the coastal markets. Mill Creek is in California and Oregon, places with statewide rent control laws that have begun to regulate rents once a property has been open for 15 years. How does this type of deferred rent control impact the economics of developing properties in those states? And it's something foremost on our mind here in California. It's a great question. And I think the first statement that we have to make as an industry is that there is a housing affordability issue in the country, right? We have to embrace that that is a challenge for the American population. Um, we also have to acknowledge, and I think many jurisdictions do, some do better than others, that development is not the evil to that. It's really part of the solution. As a developer, I have to therefore embrace that it's a challenge and part of our mission is is helping that and not hurting it. There are a lot of jurisdictions that have figured out how to take these two complex challenges of we have an affordability issue, but yet we have to allow market rate housing to come to my market in order to solve it. Um, inclusionary zoning, allowing for bonus density with it. This is a net increase to the affordable housing um, supply issue. We all know that's part of it. The I'm not a West Coast partner. I've spoken to my West Coast partners. Um, Whenever there's rent control is a really dangerous path to go down. It's historically not worked out well for either those who invest or frankly, those who live there as buildings have deteriorated under rent control. You know, their, their lifestyle was, was gravely impacted over time. Um, I'm sure that their heart's in the right place for trying to get a handle today on what that looks like. Uh, but there really has to be a long-term view. Does a 15-year uh, lockout of rent or a 15-year rent control law on something we start today really impact our economics? Not really. Um, 15 years is probably far enough that people can, you know, not worry too much about it. But the next buyer will, and each you know each step closer, it therefore impacts it. Will that pull money away from those markets? Yes, it will. You know, if as they, as a investor cannot see a path to growth, that money will walk to other states where it can see that clearer path to growth. So that's a long way of saying, I don't see Mill Creek pulling away from the coastal markets. I think that we'll always be in those cities. I think we'll be judicious about how we deploy our resources in those cities and we'll be cautious as to what we do and we'll hopefully be good stewards in those communities to help arrive at solutions that benefit everyone in the community long term. Um, I think we owe that to the community and we owe that to our capital partners to find solutions for that housing crisis. At Pencil, absolutely. Yeah. So switching coasts, Mill Creek operates in the New York metro area, but not the city itself. Why is that? Uh, great question. So it's 
Never been a, even going back to the Trammell Crow residential days, we were never involved in uh, Manhattan proper. Um, and now it's part of a footprint that I'm involved in. As I've studied, I've realized, oh, now I understand why. It's extremely costly. Uh, the union um, challenges in Manhattan are very real. Uh, there's a few families that control everything. And I had this feeling of like, great. So if there's a development opportunity where the locals where all they do is live and breathe in Manhattan. They don't want to do it, but I do. That's a really uncomfortable feeling. But um, it's really, it's when you think about there's limited resources that where you want to deploy and how you want to deploy, New York is such a big market. We've done so well in northern New Jersey, Westchester County, Long Island. We've been extremely prolific in, in Long Island where no one has really been prolific. So it's been a great market to us. To me, where I'd like to see us go is to keep, you know, keep developing in those areas. Um, we do fantastic in those areas, every single deal. But I would like to see us go a little closer. Go, this may be an opportunity for us. We have done work in Jersey City, but we should do more. We haven't done much work in the boroughs, and we should do more. I don't believe that uh, at Mill Creek will cross into Manhattan, but I do think we should get closer. And we're trying to do that now. That's, that is very good news. And certainly when times are rough, opportunity exists. And those are the most fascinating stories, if you ask me. So, Sean, thank you for joining us today. Cranes on the horizon are the universal sign of prosperity and growth. It's great to talk to someone in the business of building the nation and improving lives and keeping those cranes moving. Linda, thank you so much for having me. This has been a, absolutely my pleasure. Here we are at the end of another show. The future is bright and developers like Sean are on the march to deliver housing through all economies and conditions, and we need it. Multifamily housing production has continued to fall behind housing formation for decades. We appreciate folks like Sean Caldwell and Mill Creek Residential for stepping up, finding the deals, and making them reality for a nation in need. Thank you, Sean, for your work with NAHB, for bringing quality housing to your communities, and for keeping the cranes in the sky. Sean, you are a great American. I'm Linda Hoffman. Stay tuned for the next episode of NAHB Power Hitters when we speak with Deborah Guerrero, Senior Vice President of Strategic Partnerships and Government Relationships with the NRP Group. See you then.